Let me give you a, uh, a brief introduction and then we'll, uh, we'll read uh, God's Word in a moment. Uh, we're about to begin a, a short series in Genesis, uh, in the, uh, the first book of the Bible. Um, and we're going to this book, uh, asking the same question as uh, every uh, other book. Uh, how does this form my faith? How does God's truth and uh, His reality and the world that He's made, how does it inform my faith and the way that I live, um, because the reality is that uh, we understand ourselves in light of His Word, right? We, we know and we form an understanding of God and ourselves and the world through His Word. Um, so Genesis, right, it's a, it's a story of beginnings. Um, Genesis means beginning um, and it gives us so much to cling to and to form ourselves around as we consider the beginnings. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next five weeks uh, reflecting on the, f- the five narrative um, Eleth Toledos. Um, they, are, they are five of the key scenes within Genesis um, that, that form the hinges, in a sense, of the, the whole book. Um, so I'd love to uh, just to sit in Genesis for uh, maybe two years and just to go th- uh, through narrative step by step, right? That would be the normal uh, way we'd move through a book, but um, I'm just, I've got five weeks and I'm just going to hit it as hard as I can. I'm going to look at five of the narrative hinges. Um, so they are creation, the flood, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. So if you're going to do some pre-reading, read those five stories. Creation account, or well, it's too late, because um, that's this morning. Uh, the, the flood, and then the story of Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. And those form uh, the five key narratives that, that um, shape the whole book. Um, so this morning, we're going to reflect on uh, the first um, history. So just let me, um, sorry, Ele Toledo, um, that, that word, um, that's a Hebrew word that means this is the history of, or this is the story of, dot, 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 insert name here. So you'll see it in a moment and you'll see it at the start of each of those narratives. Genesis starts, uh, like it, it sort of pivots and then it moves into a new scene. This is the story of, and it sort of sets the uh, the, the beginning of uh, the next scene. So we're going to reflect on the first story of uh, in the Bible. Let me pray, and then um, Joe's going to come up and read the word for us. God, would your word um, penetrate our hearts today? Would your word break through our apathy and our ignorance and our defenses? Uh, May we be uh, exposed before you. Would your Holy Spirit uh, encourage us and and challenge us, rebuke us in the way that only you can. So we open our hearts uh, to hear from you and and again to ask the the question, how um, does your truth uh, form us? How does it form our faith? How does it form the way that we live? to be at work in us. Amen. Generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
Amen. Thank you. Uh, did you see it there at the start? Verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. If you read it in our modern translation, that doesn't make sense, does it? These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. What, what does that mean? Um, the, a, a more proper translation there. This is the story of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the first Ella Toledo of the Bible, the first story of the Bible. Um, before this, before this scene in Genesis, um, Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, uh, is, is this sort of preface to the entire Bible, is this sort of magnificent, majestic, enormous, encompassing preface that sets the scene for everything and then you sort of just step down into the story and you begin. This is the story of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the, the earth and the heavens. There's this, um, there's this movie, it's a little, bit, it's a little while ago now, um, it's called Click. Um, and uh, a man is given this, I think it's called Click, a man is given this remote um, where he can fast forward any of the parts of his life that he, that he doesn't enjoy that much. Um, and, and it turns out, so fast forwards like doing chores, like washing the dishes or um, helping his kids with homework, right? Like it's actually, it's actually, it's like, wow, man, it's cold. Uh, but, but he ends up um, automatically fast forwarding through a bunch of the parts of his life that he doesn't enjoy. Um, and he gets to the end of his life, there's this closing scene, and huge spoiler alert, but it's old now, and nobody appreciates old things, so you won't watch it. Uh, he gets to the end of his life, um, and he's, he's old and sort of decrepit and overweight, and, um, and he's running down this road after his family, um, and he sort of collapses on the road, and he, his dying words, right, he's whispering these words, family comes first. Um, and he, he recognizes his error, that this whole time he's missed the point. And he's thought that life was about his comfort, right? And he thought that life was about himself having the best uh, possible experience he could. And he had this remote and he could control that. I'm going to just skip past all the boring parts, all of the, um, the studying, all of the assignments, all the hard work, all the labor, all of the things that I don't really enjoy that much. And I'm only going to live the enjoyable experiences. And he dies and he wakes up um, where he started before he was given the remote. Lesson learned, right? Um, so we're going we're gonna to jump right back to the start, in a sense, and examine the beginnings and form a picture about the way life was intended to be lived. Because so I, I think that um, sometimes our error is that we live in the place of God. We pretend as if life revolved around us. And our needs and our wants when in fact, the, the truth is that life is not at all about us, in any way. So the question that arises here is, what, what's the point? What is it really about? What is life really about? Verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. If you've ever read a novel... Um, which is increasingly less and less people. Uh, uh, and that's just the way life is. I'm okay with that. No, I'm not. I'm pretty sour. Uh, so if you've ever read a novel or if you've watched a movie, you'll understand the fact that great storytelling always leads with key characters. Tom, no answer. Tom, no answer. What's gone with that boy, I wonder? You, Tom, no answer. 
The old lady pulled her spectacles down and looked over them about the room. Then she put them up and looked out under them. Who do you think that story is about? That's Tom Sawyer, right? The adventures of Tom Sawyer, of course. Now, in fact, it's odd if it's done otherwise. If you think about the way that story works, it doesn't make sense if it's done any other way. Can you imagine um, the opening scene of Cinderella and it all plays out in our mind, right? She's mopping the floor, um, she's dusting cobwebs, she's whistling to the birds and and, uh, you've got this, this young woman... Um, in some sort of um, uh, restrained environment where she's made to do all of this work and that's the first scene, right? And you form this picture in your mind and then the scene changes in the second scene. The stepsisters come home from a day out and they leave their clothes around everywhere and then the story goes on and follows them and their story and their experience throughout the day. You'd be like, no, 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 isn't this about Cinderella? We began with Cinderella. We began with this picture in our minds right? And, and her in this setting, in this context, you can't just go and change the story on us and make it about this other person. It's odd if it's done any other way. So let's, let's look at Genesis, right? And, and really, we're looking at one verse so far. Who are the important characters in this story so far? Well, so far, we've got the heavens and the earth, and we've got God. And that's it. That's all, that's all the characters that are in the story so far. Notice what's going on here. Now, you see the same thing in Genesis 1, right? That the other creation account, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, are, are, are both unique creation accounts. One's majestic and one's a little bit more mundane. Um, in the beginning, God. The author of Genesis is making a huge statement for us. At the start of the first book in the Bible... This story is about God. So everything that's coming up after this, everything that's um, going to be introduced, every other narrative, every other scene or picture that you get, yeah, that's about God. That's, that's all about Him. He's the main character in this story. So as you read through the Bible, you need to look through each of these stories along the way to see what they add to the main character and to see how they build the narrative of the main character. I wonder if you read Leviticus like that. Or the Psalms. Or the, or the minor prophets. Right? Or, or, or the book of Judges. Some of these wild stories and you just go, what is, what's going on there? Just remember the context. Remember what's going on here. This is a book about God and His world and His reality. And the way that He's established things. That is a huge context setter for us. This isn't a self-help book. It's not even necessarily a book of answers. It's a book about God that follows His story and what He's done through human history. And within His story, we learn about His people. So the way that, um, that the narrative works, the way that the context is established, it's always who God is and then who we are in light of that. It's always the way that it works. That's always the movement. Who is God? What is the truth of God? And who are we in light of that? And we form ourselves around His truth and around His reality. That's the progression. God leads, we follow. God creates, we respond. God commands, it happens. 
the whole world is a God-centered world. So when we describe humans sometimes, when we read the, the creation account and we describe humans as the pinnacle of creation, we still need to hold that within the context of human being the pinnacle of the work of a preeminent, powerful God who can do as He pleases with His creation, right? It's not enough just to say that humanity is the, panic, the pinnacle of creation or the pinnacle of creation. It's just insufficient because it's not a word. God is the preeminent one who surpasses all else. Full stop, right? We need to understand ourselves and the world in light of that, in light of that reality. Just think about this for a second. The whole story is about God. Just, let's just drill down for a moment. So your family, your career, your finances, your relationships, your legacy, the very memory of you. It's about God. You are not ultimately going to be remembered by anyone. Right? Give it a thousand years. Who was Matt? Who was Matt Martin? A nobody. Just wouldn't have a clue. I don't know. Look up. Look up. Uh, um, I don't. I don't know if Google will be around in a thousand years. Right? There might be some photos and some data on there, but. No one's ultimately going to remember me. Well, that's a bit sad, Matt. Well, it's, uh, it's actually pretty freeing because the story's not about me, all right? It's not about me. It's not about us. That is not who the story is about. No one's ultimately going to get transformed by you being a hero and making a story about yourself. But plenty of people are going to be transformed and renewed by you living in a way that reflects God. Verse 5 and 6, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. I want you to try and imagine <clears throat> what it was like before. When no bush of the field was yet in the land. What? Just, just stop for a moment and just close your eyes if you'd like to and just imagine what it was like before creation. Try and, try and form a picture of a space or not even a space, right? An absence of anything except God. Before creation, God, right? Like three words, tremendous reality. God existed and exists outside of all else. We don't even really have the capacity to fully understand that or hardly understand that, like even a glimpse of that. God doesn't require creation to be defined. Everything else requires creation to, to be defined and to be understood within but God does not require the world to be understood or to be defined God was and he is full stop he in and of himself complete 
not needing or wanting anything, self-sufficient, self-governing, self-sustaining, self-directing. God existed and exists wholly and contentedly in great strength within Himself before creation. Right? Truth. Reality. And into this reality, into the reality of Himself, He creates the universe. He does not need it. He is not incomplete. He is not lonely. God creates the world out of His completeness. He pours Himself out into creation and by the power of His breath creates life, good and perfect life. Isn't that amazing? Think about the world, think about creation, think about what all of this reflects, what it's saying. When you drive your car through the mountains, when the altitude changes and the breeze gets cooler, you can smell the rainforest, you stand on the beach looking at a sunset, what's it all saying? Even in our best moments, we walk around as if God needed us, as if things wouldn't happen without our intervention, as if we plot the course of our lives, right? As if we're in control, like we hold things together. Like if I'm not here and doing this, then something's going to go terribly wrong. And a lot of people are going to be in danger. And, you know, it's like as if God really needed us, as if He ultimately depended on us. And then, and then sickness rears its ugly head or a natural disaster hits and millions of people are affected and life falls apart and we wave our fists at the sky as if we were owed something, as if we were the ones to make the judgment call. Well, well let's make up our minds. Are we in charge or not? Because we seem to live a contradiction. When, when life is going really well for us, yeah, we're in charge. Yeah, we got this. It's all under control. I am holding this ship. I'm, I'm steering this thing. Captain Matt is here, you know, and we, I'm charting the course and life is good. A storm hits and when life isn't going well, God's in charge and He's doing a terrible job. What's it going to be? We need to realize we are living in someone else's reality. The reality that you see for yourself is, is not the true picture. It is not the full picture. And it never will be until you're connected to the source of life. The one from whom life came. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Why does no one have a problem with crushing ants? If you've ever uh, sat on the grass to eat a sandwich for lunch and you felt that little critter walking up your ankle, it's go time, right? It's like, I, I just, it's go time. I'm going to find that thing and I'm going to crush it and I'm going to find pleasure in seeing it squished and curled up on the ground knowing that I'm not going to have a trail of red bites up my leg after trying to 
eat my wrap in peace, right? It's like, I, I've got no problem with that. My, uh, my son and I love, when we go for a walk in the bush, getting the biggest stick we can and just jamming it down the hole of an ant's nest and just getting real stirred up and then stumping all over them, right? And no one has a problem with that. Everyone is totally fine with that, 100% fine with that. If you've got a problem with that, I would be fascinated to hear your argument after this because no one cares. It's like, like the, the main reason I think people are fine with crushing ants is because they're just so insignificant. Like what's, what's 18 ants from the 3 billion just in my backyard? It's like really, like seriously, they're everywhere and uh, this is, isn't going to make a difference. But think about this, by comparison to God... How insignificant are we? Right? Like, if, if, you, if you draw a, a con- contrast here between humanity and ants, you go, there's a, big, there's a big gap there, Matt. They're so insignificant. They don't really, they don't do much. They just walk around and try and carry heavy things, try and feed each other and, and make cool rafts and float across rivers. I saw that one time on a documentary, not in real life, an ant raft. They made a raft out of their bodies. We go, they're just insignificant. Okay, or if we're going to use that logic, you know much about God? And how infinite He is? And how powerful He is? And how far above us He is? We must be pretty insignificant then. I have this, um, I have this picture here. Drew, just going to hold it up here for a moment so you can all have a good look. I, um, I've, I've made a person, drawn a person. I have formed this person with my pen. I formed him a little earlier on this morning. And uh, to the best of my ability, uh, I've made him in my image. If you look closely enough. Um, I've given him long limbs. I'm fairly long-limbed. Um, and there's a little bit of stubble there. Um, on the, there. And there's, a, there's a big nose because um, I'm happy with that. That's got a big nose. The hair was a little bit hard to figure out. But uh, to the best of my ability, I have formed a person. And I've made him in my image. Now, you might have ideas about what I should do with this. But ultimately, I can do with this whatever I please. Can't I? This is my creation. If I want to hang it in the kitchen, I can hang it in the kitchen. If I want to turn it into a paper airplane, I can turn it into an airplane. If I want to, if I want to scrunch it up, just throw it on the floor over there, I can do that. I can do whatever I please. I can eat it. If I really want to, I could eat that, right? I can digest that and take it into my stomach. Now, you might have some thoughts about what the best thing is to do with that, but ultimately, I can do as I please. Now, we need to realize this, that, that God can rightfully do as He pleases with His creation. We are His creation. He formed us from dirt, right? It seems quite insignificant, really. Dirt. Dust. Just a pile of dust. But what's so unique about God's creating? What's so incredible about it? He forms us from dirt. 
Read that. Read verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Listen to this, this beautiful second half, right? And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God forms us from dirt and then breathes his breath into us. God gives us himself to make us alive, right? We're just a pile of dirt. And then God breathes his very life into us, his breath into us. He gives us himself to bring us to life. And that is still the case. It is his very life that brings us to life and sustains us. We live in daily dependence on our Creator to sustain us. Listen to Isaiah 42, 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. God breathes life into us and sustains us with his life. Genesis uh, 2, this first um, Toledo, gives us three powerful realities about God. He is preeminent, He is preexistent, and He is the Creator. And right when we are on the verge of being overwhelmed by our insignificance, when we're tempted to believe that God doesn't really care for us, God gives us the most clarifying statement that cuts through the noise and speaks to our heart. Despite your wickedness, despite the way you've turned away from me, the source of true life, and corrupted my world, and corrupted relationships, and corrupted your very selves, I'm going to rescue you. On the cross, God declares, I love my creation. Loud and clear, God sends Jesus, His Son, into creation to become a part of His creation, to say, for once and for all, I love my people so much that I will give a perfect sacrifice to redeem them, to set things right again, to bring about the restorative work of creation. They stuffed themselves up. Their sin corrupted them. And it was wrong. But I love my creation so much that I'm going to do what it takes to redeem it and to make it right again and to restore it back to me. So the hope for us in this uh, apparent insignificance is that God led in the most significant way on the cross. He did lead with judgment, but just not on us. He leads towards us through Christ with grace. And we receive, right? God leads, He commands, it happens. God leads and we respond, we follow 
we receive His grace and we live a new life in light of Jesus, in light of His Son. So now, all of life is a responding to Christ. It's a responding to God's grace towards us, to His glory and His reality. Life now, what's the point where we started? What's the point for us? Life is about glorifying God. As the preeminent, pre-existent creator, the one who commands and it happens, who has shown his love for us most clearly, most beautifully in the cross. I'm going to um I'm gonna pray I'm gonna play a song for us. I'd just love uh, for us to reflect for a few minutes. Um, and to think about those three things. And, uh, and ask the question, ask of God, where am I not living as I should? Where am I, li- where am I not living in what is true? I'm going to play a song that really uh, beautifully captures this, uh, this sort of movement um, from God creating to us responding. And then I'll, um, I'll pray to, uh, to close in a moment.